Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here... Please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. When I was 10, I didn't have a single care and not a single body hair and life was fine. 
Robert Smigel is a renowned comedic writer, performer, director, producer, songwriter, and puppeteer based in his hometown of New York City. After making a name for himself in Chicago's improv and comedy community in the early 1980s, Smigel moved back home to work as a writer and occasional performer on Saturday Night Live, where he first began collaborating with friends like Conan O'Brien and Bob Odenkirk, all of whom would eventually create some of the most memorable talk show bits ever on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, including Smigel's enduring signature character, Triumph, the insult comic dog. After leaving SNL to work on film treatments and the short-lived but impactful Dana Carvey show in the mid-90s, Smigel created the SNL animated series TV Funhouse, which featured the ambiguously gay duo, and the now seasonal standard sung by Darlene Love, Christmas Time for the Jews. Over the past three decades, Smigel has worked closely with Adam Sandler on his various film and animation projects, including their latest movie together, a wonderful coming-of-age animated film called Leo, which Smigel co-directed, co-wrote, and performed in. For comedy nerds like me, Smigel is a pioneering and heroic figure, so I was very thrilled that we connected recently to discuss things like the making and story behind this hilarious film, Leo, why he rarely does podcasts, and also why he agreed to do mine, why kids know comedy better than some adults do, the popularity of the live reading of the lost Hans and Franz movie that he participated in on Conan O'Brien's podcast earlier this year, and what that experience was like, why he loves writing songs while some people are afraid to promote films as musicals, singing well in character the way Triumph and Adam Sandler and Neil Hamburger do, critical acclaim and award season, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. By the way, for years I've been doing this show and I mentioned the Patreon and I, you know, it hasn't been that big a deal. But as I'm speaking to you, it's kind of a bigger deal now. I, I would like to, I need the, the money. And so if you can uh, support me in doing this show as, a, as much of a full-time endeavor as possible, which I try to do, but now I really got to try to do it. I hope you can read between the lines here. Please support me at patreon.com slash creative control. It means a lot. Thank you so much. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in uh, Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and a very helpful website, blackbird.ca, where you can go and order records. I don't know if Leo, the soundtrack for the film Leo, I should say, is available on any kind of physical format, but if it is... If you go to blackbird.ca and type in Leo soundtrack, it might be there. And if they've got it, they can actually ship it to your house. If you can't make it to Edmonton or Calgary, Blackbird can help you out. Again, learn more at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from the likes of Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 829 of Creative Control featuring the lovely and talented and for me legendary Robert Smigel with your host me Vish Khanna. 
But that was then. When I was ten. Hi, Robert. How's it going? Hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for making time for me. I've been a long time fan of yours, and uh, it's a little unbelievable to me, because I know you don't do a lot of, historically, you haven't done a lot of podcasts and, and interviews, no. but you're coming out of your shell, no pun intended, given what we're <laughs> here, here to sort of talk about, one of the characters. Uh, what, what do you suppose is going on there? Are you just plugging a movie, or is something else happening that you're getting uh, out there? No, I'm, I mean, 90% of it is just plugging a movie. There, there are podcasts like Conan's and uh, shows that I've just avoided doing because I just always feel silly just going on and talking about myself with no purpose other than to talk about myself. I'm more <laughs> of a listener, um, to be honest. And I, uh, but this is important. Now I have something that I've literally worked on for four years, yeah. which is the longest amount of time I've ever put into any project. And so, yeah, I want to, uh, I want to make sure people know about it. And, um, and you know, as far as your podcast goes, you wrote something, you wrote a review of the movie and it had a uniquely, it, it had a line in it that really struck me um, a lot. Of, I'm the type of person who reads a lot of reviews. Sandler doesn't read any. <laughs> I read like all of them in case like, because I always think, oh, I might learn something yeah. about the movie, you know, something I could have done better. Which hasn't really happened this time around. The reviews have been very good, and the ones that haven't liked it, I just think they're missing it. Yeah. I don't think they get it. But your yeah. review, besides being a very nice, positive review, had this line, and I'll just read it. Sure. Song sequences give it a unique emotional tenor. tenor most here, where you say it tells a fantastical tale about being young and growing old. And how similarly strange, frightening, and joyous both things can be for everybody. Yeah, just such a such a uh, unusual way to express um, the connection between young people and old people in this movie, yeah. in a way that I hadn't even thought about. Wow! But uh, you know, it um, it really resonated with me, and I thought it was beautifully expressed. So wow, I wanted to. Uh, I posted it to thank you, and then you asked me to do this. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? I like, first of all, this is very flattering to me that a writer of your renown is focusing in on something that I wrote, I will admit, somewhat quickly. Like, I write, uh, <laughs> I write a lot, uh, but I also don't write as much as I used to in this capacity, reviewing yeah. things. Um, so it cool. means a lot to me. My family and I watched this film together. Uh, we loved it so much. So everything I said was heartfelt, and this is what occurred to me. Yeah. Secondly, right. I, I love the fact that you had to give a disclaimer as to why you're appearing on this podcast. Listen, listen, everyone. <laughs> this guy wrote a nice thing about me. I'm paying it for it. That's kind of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's I don't a, it's, do, well because I mean I you know I, I like I said I don't really like to do this kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm do I'm doing. I'm doing like, you know, some of the more high profile podcasts because I know that it's good for the movie. Yes. And yours, I wouldn't classify, don't be offended, <laughs> but I wouldn't classify yours as a, as one of the high profile podcasts. That's correct. So those are the kind of requests where I'm like, oh God, do I want to do this? Yes. But yes. I was, um, I just 
I just wanted to do yours because I that that piece of writing really stuck out, and I figured uh, you must be an interesting guy. Well, listen, I appreciate that. And interesting and, things to say. Yeah, I appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate everything you said is accurate. Uh, uh, <laughs> namely, that I'm interesting. No, I I wanted to talk about Leo, and and I actually pulled the same quote because I wanted to ask you about why it resonated yeah. with you the way it did. You you briefly articulated it. You said it hadn't occurred to you in this capacity. Let's expand upon that. What is what did it mean to you? What does it mean to you that I pointed out the songs and the and the tenor of the songs in particular, mm-hmm. and 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 how it uh, might resonate with people of all ages? Well. I think one song in particular, probably it's maybe what you were thinking about more than the others was the one where the kids reminisce about how they were younger and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that comes from a place of like a comedic place at first because we're basically taking a joke that Charlie Brown probably made 50 years ago. Probably there's a strip somewhere where he, says to his little sister, Sally, you have no idea what it's going to be like when you just wait till you're eight years old, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very peanuts kind of sentiment. And I'm sure that joke has existed somewhere about uh, a a young kid thinking back to how simple his life was two years earlier. But yeah, that's the premise of this song. It's a bunch of 11 year olds singing a song called when I was 10. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the whole premise of the movie, as well as that song, came from a place of comedy. I just thought it would be really funny that these kids who have these kind of problems, like I have twin boys who were in fourth grade when I started this movie. Yeah. And I'm just acutely aware of kids that age and the oh my God stage and and the smallest problems to adults seem like the biggest problems to these kids. And that's a starting point for comedy. And then juxtaposing their problems with this elderly lizard who's seen every type of kid in 75 years, comes from a very cynical place himself. For him to hear these these minute little problems and then, but actually be able to, you know, conjure up a memory of a kid who had a similar problem and and employ it that way, employ his memory by giving this new kid advice. That just struck me as funny. And then as the movie, then as I was writing the movie and that song, you just think about, you know, I became attached to the characters and more invested in, more invested in their lives and, and getting into the heart of slightly more serious problems like a kid who who's a bully because he's very insecure about his intelligence or yeah. or a girl who bonded with her grandfather more than any other relative and is dealing with loss you know and so that's the arc of the movie where leo starts having a little more trouble giving advice, more complicated problems, and he kind of learns to listen. And that's still effective. And, you know, and the more invested he gets in the kids, the more he realizes that this is the most worthwhile thing he can do with the rest of his life. This is more valuable than any bucket list he had. And at the same time in the song, 
the song starts getting into, it starts with very silly memories like, uh, you know, we still left milk for Santa Claus. My mom was not in menopause. And life was great when I was eight, that kind of thing. Yeah. But then as it continues, we see the girl reminisce about her grandpa, even though it's comedic. My grandpa and my gerbil were still alive. And then the next boy talks about how uh, a haircut used to make him cry more than people dying. Like mm-hmm. he actually sings, I didn't care what, that people die. And that's something, um, I don't know if that's common, but, uh, you know, I have three sons and my twin boys, when they were four or five years old, they kind of laughed at the concept of death. They just thought it was weird. and Yeah, abstract. Yeah. Abstract, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, um, and then when they were eight... My dad passed away and, you know, he had had a long, beautiful life and a long, painful illness. So there was a part of me that felt relief. And it really wasn't until one of my sons got on the phone, having just heard about it and cry, he was crying so, you know, much more than I'd heard him cry in years. And uh, it was very touching because he was absorbing not just that his beloved he loved his grandfather but just that he was he was coming to terms with mortality at that age and that was um very moving and that's like the first time and that's what really got me crying at that moment and that's just a moment that i remembered and put into the song you know and it's and so yeah so the movie to me was about how much we need each other and how you know, kids need to be able to share their anxieties and not keep them to themselves. Yeah. They need to find someone that they can trust. And then on the flip side, from Leo's perspective, it's about having a purpose in life beyond glamorous stuff. Those are always my favorite movies anyway. Like Those movies always get me like up and it's a wonderful life. You yeah. Know, movies that... Where the, where the message of the story is just to have friends and connect with people and that an adventure with someone you love, even if it's mundane, if you really love that person, that's a more meaningful adventure than doing glamorous things. You know, so, so that to me is what the movie is. It's about how much we need each other. So what you wrote was just an observation that I hadn't connected with yet which was the 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 concept of you know the idea of how being being young and growing old i didn't connect that how similar they can be in certain ways how scary they can be and how strange they can be yeah because growing old i mean i'm i'm starting to but i'm not at that point where i'm like really where i'm really uh, falling apart and and coming to terms with that every day of my life. That'll be in the distant future, I hope, but it'll happen. Yeah. God willing. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, the connection between the scariness and strangeness of that and the scariness of strangeness of being like 10 and knowing that you're, you're on the cusp of young adulthood and you've been so comfortable in your skin as a child all that time. 
that's really that was just really interesting to me that Leo and the kids had more in common than I had even thought about. If I step back and take a kind of whatever academic perspective on the, the film and I ponder what you've just talked about, I think what resonated with me and my family, I, w- I would guess anyway, is that this film offers perspectives on change and dealing with yeah. change and how much life is about those changes and how profound they can be. But it's also <laughs> very hilarious because you invoked um, the young girl in the film who uh, had a close relationship, I believe, with her grandfather. And yes. can't. I believe that's the character who can't stop crying, right? That is the character who, well, she starts crying during, she, she inspires that song, Don't Cry. So that yes. song, I watched this film. With a couple of forty-year-olds, myself and my yeah. wife, forty-odd-year-olds. Yeah. By the way, it's my right. birth. It's my birthday today. I'm forty. Hey. Yeah, I'm forty-six. I, I, I now I'm gonna. Way to go! I'm entering this realm you're talking about. Uh, looking back, looking <laughs> forward, whatever. So I'm. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I watched it with uh, my wife and a twelve-year-old and an eight-year-old, and nothing made them laugh harder yeah. than Leo singing the "Don't Cry" song. And I was I think that's the funniest moment in the whole movie. Is it? I okay. Agree. Okay. So they I well, think it is. Yeah. Okay. That and the scene the scene where Squirtle gives bad advice to uh <laughs> to the bully, I think, is, is up there too. But I think and a few things the drone do are very funny. But um Yes, that's but yeah, right. I would I would say and you know, it was very gratifying because that was a very heavily criticized song when we were making the movie. But every time people would screen it uh, in front of an audience, it would get enormous laughs. It's a laugh from of kids. Too. Yeah, it's a from laugh. Kids too. It's a disbelief laden laugh. Like my son, who's getting more attuned yes. to satire, and my daughter yeah. too. Like, oh, like I can't believe this lizard is making fun of this situation, and to yeah. see that recognition of satire and comedy in my children. Sorry, Robert. Every yeah. Friday we have family movie night, and we've been right. peppering things in that make sense for everyone and won't be over their heads. By the way, I don't recommend Jaws. I had to shut that down. I don't know what I was thinking on Jaws. How old were they? They're they're older- eight and twelve, and I, it was a big mistake. Ooh. Yeah, I, sorry, I'm a good parent. Twelve. My kids could my. I have two boys and my, my, my wife, I don't know how she did it, but she loves horror movies and she had these kids, uh, I, in a way it almost like they built up, uh, an immunity by watching them young. They watched The Shining. Oh my God. And, and I played Jaws for them when they were about 11 and they loved it. Well, they loved Jaws. it's the 12 and the eight year old. So I, my okay. father, uh, my yes. parents immigrated from India. My dad in the early eighties yeah. got himself the, one of the first VCRs and he mm-hmm. one of the movies he rented and we t- would tape the movies off the TV as well. So, uh, one of the movies he taped or the first movie he rented, I think was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I was whatever, four or five years okay. old. That's a little overwhelming. Great. Nazis and the melting <laughs> faces and it's bonkers. But then Jaws was on and I watched it when I was like six years old. And to this day, I can't swim. I don't like the water. And really? I think, I think it there's something you that much. I, I don't think that necessarily. I wouldn't say there's a direct correlation. I'm just telling you, I'm I'm not buoyant. If I try to swim, I just sink, <laughs> and I don't. I'm really? I'm a little scared of the water. I'm just a little bit scared. Wow. So so I agree with you. And I, I and they told me no, no. Five minutes in, 
We got to pick a different movie. We can't watch Jaws. I, I gave him a big speech. Look, unlike some of the yeah. movies, sharks are real, but this is yeah. still a movie. Like, you don't have to worry, but it, it was bad. Otherwise, I'm a great dad. I hope I, I like to think I'm a good dad, uh-huh. and I helicopter sure. a little bit. I worry about them, and yet here I am showing them Jaws. So all this to say, it's been yeah. really fun showing them different films and seeing how they process humor and yeah. intellectual and stuff. They're they're smarter than people give them credit for. Well, this is I a bet. film that I think you're entering an age, to, or you you are you and I are both at an age where we have children, which means we have to go to their schools for events and meet yeah. with their teachers. I'm yeah. sure you go through this. You get you don't regress, but you end up putting yourself back in their shoes Absolutely. as kids, right? Right, of course. So this movie is really, if I may encapsulate it beyond the brilliant review I wrote, uh, the profound statements I included in it. I'm I don't being know sorry. how you're going uh, go <laughs> to go beyond that, that review, but let's, let's give it a shot. <laughs> no, all I'm getting at is, and now I lost what I was going to say, I think uh-huh. it's putting yourself in other people's shoes Yeah. in so many ways. And there's definitely my wife, who is a big fan of teachers, thought this was a, an interesting... Uh, analysis of the relationship that teachers have with students. So you got your parents. You got Leo, who is essentially a lizard trained by teachers. Because a lot of his wisdom comes from observing kids and their behavior, but he's also been through a lot of teachers. What do you yes. suppose you're... Are you saying something particularly profound, do you think, about the art of teaching, the act of teaching students and how important that role is? Well, there's a song that's kind of, you know... Normally when I write stuff... I almost never try to tell, I never try to indicate, I never, if someone is saying something and has a, and there's a moral behind it, I'd never like to state that moral. Yeah. And I probably would have made more popular cartoons if I had once in a while, because like South Park always did that. They would always have Kyle or somebody like, they'd, they'd do the crudest half hour and then at the very end, Kyle would kind of explain what the premise of the yeah. what the writers were going for. And I always felt like ah, I wanted I want people to just figure it out. But in this movie, I figured for kids, I'm gonna make a couple of things very clear. Like I did at the end when he says find your Leo. I really wanted kids to understand that everybody's scared and that they shouldn't feel like they should keep anything to themselves. I just thought it was important for kids to hear that directly. And then and then when he has his moment with Ms. Malkin, the, the grumpy teacher, it's not quite as straightforward, but he does, he kind of steers her into understanding the inherent gift of being an effective mentor, which is what Leo's learned. Yes. You know, and he says that there were other substitute teachers who, you know, they treated kids like they were their family, and that's why they were happy uh, mm. because they connected emotionally. They gave they they let go of themselves enough to connect emotionally with those kids, you know, and nurture them and and be vulnerable, and that's why they were not just happy teachers but effective teachers, and and so yeah, there's. I mean, yes, there's supposed to be a message in the movie, <laughs> the inherent value, not just of mentoring, but specifically 
uh, for teachers too to be celebrated teachers, for that. T- teachers can learn too. Like I, my wife said this. I'm like, yeah, but and I don't want to spoil anything. If you think about it, the main villain in the film was also kind of a was a teacher. So it, it, it it's an interesting comment on but, what teachers can learn. Yes, I but I you know I don't consider her a villain any more than I consider the dad in Mary Poppins a villain. Right. I, like right. he was an impediment. An o- then, oppositional force, an oppositional force. Exactly. But, and then yeah. he becomes, uh, you know, Mary Poppins is an agent of change, just like Leo is in this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Although Leo changes as well, just like Mary Poppins does by the end of that movie. But, um, but Leo, I've always liked movies that don't have absolute clear bad guys. Like even when we did Hotel Transylvania, which is a story that I inherited, the first one anyway, you know, I did a big rewrite on it, but it was essentially the bare bones of the story were, were there already. And I I like the fact that Dracula was an impediment and he, he was not a bad guy. He was someone who needed to learn. and uh, Also a dad, a dad who needed to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the way, I just, I just realized this. We watched Hotel Transylvania because my daughter finds sure. things on Netflix that she thinks are appealing. And my son has become a Sandman fan. Uh, so... So yeah. just letting you know, I it's that's hilarious that you mentioned that, and I happen to know <laughs> that the dad in Hotel Transylvania is struggling with their child coming of age and what right. that means, right? So, yeah, agents of change. So I think I maybe hit on something when I suggest this is a film all about changing, and I think you're aligned with that. It's all about these life changes. Well, yeah, you're you're looking at it from like just inherent life changes, which is. Really interesting that old people and young people at these ages are sharing that, and uh, and that means mostly I'm talking about Leo, not Ms. Malkin, but yes, and you know, and I'm talking more about the classic agents of change in movies like Mary Poppins. Yes, where, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But I do think, as I I don't want to dwell on it too much longer, but I do think. Sorry, I'm just patting myself on the back. This whole interview is me. Excited! I'm talking to Robert Smigel. That's all and good. Myself. <laughs> no, I think that's a fundamental thing. Kids are staring down in grade five as you graduate. You're staring down momentous change on yeah. a different, in a different way. As you get older, if you're Miss Malkin or a senior like Leo, you're you're facing the ultimate change. And what are you going to do with the time you have left before you change? I guess is a way of looking at it, right? Yeah, and you know it's interesting for anybody who's listening who watches the movie. If you stay and uh, if you click on Netflix to play the closing credits beyond the animation credits there and you skip all the way to the end of the rolling credits, there's a little bonus piece of animation, a storyboard yeah. that existed for a part of the song that we ended up cutting out of the movie. It's in the soundtrack and the last line of the it's the opening song in the movie. And the last line is last year and what we do in grade five will decide the rest of our lives. <laughs> like it's just uh, over paranoid about. Uh, that's another thing. Important. Everyone thinks yeah. everything that's coming up might be more important than it is. Maybe you can Absolutely, relax. Yeah. Relax a little bit. You, I think, are having a great year uh, in general from my perspective 
because one of the highlights of uh, the year for those of us who consume podcasts or go on <laughs> YouTube is the Lost Hans and Franz movie live reading yes. that you did. Yes. Now, for people who don't know, actually, Robert, what, do you want to explain what happened there? What was going on? Sure. Yeah. So Hans and Franz, for people who are younger than 50. <laughs> <laughs> 46. Or younger, 40, younger I, than 46. I, I grew up with Hans and Franz for sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. let's say younger than 40. Yeah. Hans and Franz were uh, characters created by SNL performers Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon in 1986. And in the 80s, there was a huge fitness craze. Uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was a part of that. And he was a gigantic action star in the eighties. And, you know, Arnold has an Austrian accent. And this was, this was a sketch, uh, hosted by two men who professed to be Arnold's cousins, Hans and Franz. And they were these muscle bound idiots who were, uh, Jake Steinfeld was a very popular uh, oh, yeah, that guy. bodybuilding. Yeah, I forgot about that bodybuilding <laughs> advisor at the time. <laughs> so they had their own bodybuilding show, which was basically berating the viewer by uh, presuming that they're too lazy to work hard. And it's like you know, <laughs> we could easily tie your love handles into a knot and hang you from a bridge with your flab, that kind of thing. Yeah, and. Um, they became very, very popular characters on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And like almost everything on SNL, when something becomes popular, somebody wants to make a movie about it. And in this case, the person who wanted to make a movie about it was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. He was like, guys, let's make a movie. On this. You go to Hollywood and you meet me in all that. <laughs> so Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon came to me with this idea. And I was like, oh, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Because I just thought these guys are so one-dimensional, that could never work. But right. then I thought, well, what if we make that a musical? So that'll kill like 20, 30 minutes, and then we can then spend less time on the story. And then I realized, like, well, the second half of the movie, once they're in California, can be dominated by Arnold, and it'll be a big parody of his Hollywood career, and it will just make it really silly and make him obsessed with muscles and buttocks and so yeah and so we wrote the movie <laughs> I've, i i added you know i started writing it with kevin and then i had conan jump in and help as well and dana threw in and uh i've written many silly movies since then all of which have not gotten made many of which were snl based i made a chicago da bear super fans movie with bob odenkirk i made an ambiguously gay duo movie with stephen stephen colbert <laughs> I wrote a whole other movie about a character Adam used to play where he would stand up from the audience and go, don't you see? Don't you understand? You, we love you for who you are, Pat. Anyway, I wrote a character. I wrote a movie for that guy that was a horror movie. And, but the Hans and Franz movie was just a blissfully ridiculous script and experience. And, we loved it so much, had so much fun writing it, but the studio thought it was ridiculous. And then Arnold, but we still thought we could get a made if Arnold would do it. But he made the movie Last Action Hero in the interim Oh, while he was waiting to make this one. And I was told by his manager, a guy named Lou, he said, Arnold, 
he's afraid to do this now. It was like he created a new rule, like, I can never play myself in the movie again. <laughs> because The Last Action Hero was very self-referential. And I thought it was a pretty good movie, actually, but it was a bomb. It bombed and, and was um, critically reviled for some reason, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, all these movies are a source of frustration. You know, you think uh, talking to me, I'd be like, oh, I got a great career going. But some of my favorite things that I've ever written have never seen the light of day. Right. And the Hans and Franz movie was one of them. And now, now you've seen at least parts of it. And a lot of people agree with us yeah. that it is one of the funniest things we've written. <laughs> and that's kind of empowering and makes me feel like I want to just do a podcast where I just do table reads of everything I've ever written. <laughs> assume so <laughs> that it's, that they're all as good as the Hans and Franz movie. At one point, uh, Dana Carvey, during the, early in the podcast uh, that you guys did, this series, he says he wonders if Arnold will ever hear this, that you guys are doing oh the live God. reading. And then Arnold heard it, and he appeared on oh, Conan, yeah. and he said he really yeah. liked it. What did you make of that? Oh, I wasn't surprised. He has a great sense of humor, and yeah. I always thought that he would would have been great in the movie if he had just pulled the trigger and had it. And, and I think it would have been an incredible movie. It would have been a blast. I, you know, he, he used to appear on Saturday Night Live periodically with Hans and Franz. And he was always incredibly funny. I remember when he met them, I think they told us uh, that the first thing he said to them was, so, okay, so how do I do the accent? You know, like, <laughs> how do I do it? He seems very funny. And uh, self-effacing, unlike most action stars who... Yeah, I mean, if you think about his journey... Yeah. You know, coming from Austria and, uh, you know, and making it, trying to be an actor and then making it as a bodybuilder and with that accent and managing to be an actor. And I, I think he understands how hilariously unlikely his journey has been and and has a sense of humor about it. In that regard. Yeah. During the taping, uh, you guys j joke, I guess, sort of about how you wish Arnold would participate in at least a live live reading, like not just That's what you what guys my, did. That would be my dream, would just yeah. do a full live reading of it. Not that I didn't have fun playing Arnold on that, you know. Brilliant. That was, Brilliant performance as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Thank you so great. much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I, I had forgotten how many lines Arnold had, like by the third and fourth chapter of that podcast 90 percent of the script was just me doing long speeches as arnold and, and then kevin and dana going yeah yeah it was like everybody's watching the least famous guy now but could something do, do you think something else like that i think unless i'm crazy uh this was popular the thing you guys did oh no ever since then i keep hearing oh you got to make it an animated film or, uh, you know, Something. I was thinking, what if we yeah. did it with AI, you know, and had a young Arnold and a young Kevin and Dana. But but really, I would just be happy if we could do a live reading for charity and, um, you know, split it between Arnold's charity and my autism uh, yeah. charity. That would that would be a dream come true for me. Well, I, uh, I hope it happens. We'll see. I hope it I happens. do, too. So getting, getting back to Leo, at one point, you alluded to this just now, at one point in the podcast with Conan, 
Uh, yeah. you, you say what you just said, that you originally thought of Hans and Franz, uh, you thought it could be a musical. What is it about musicals and songs? Uh, people think of you as a cartoonist, I suppose, a writer, a puppeteer, but you clearly love to sing and write songs. I do. Uh, so what was it about, what is it about the musical, not just Hans and Franz, let's go to Leo as well, because I will tell you, and I know Stephen Colbert said this exact same thing to you. When I press play on Leo, I did not realize it was a musical. Yeah. And we yeah. had to be like, oh, it's a musical. Oh, okay. Yeah. The third song in, this is happening. It's a musical. So what is it about the musical form that, that resonates with you as a comedic writer? Well, it's interesting. First, all these movies are hiding that they're musicals. Wonka, uh, Mean Girls. If you look at any of their trailers, oh. even Frozen did it, I was told. Hmm. It was like they just reassured us. Oh, even Frozen, when it came out originally, their first trailers hid that it was a musical. Apparently, there's like enough people who just have such a prejudice against even investing in a musical for a second. And we actually shortened the opening song partly because like when people are trapped in a theater, it's one thing. But if you have the opportunity to turn away on Netflix... There was concern that like, oh, if the opening song's too long and we wait too long before we get to Leo, um, people are going to tune out. So we shortened the song for that reason. Oh, I see. But yeah, but I, I've just always had a, uh, an affinity toward, not that I'm talented at it, but I've just loved making up songs. Like when I was a kid, I would make fun of friends three different ways. I would either draw cartoons of them. Or I would imitate them, or I would write songs about them, like little jingles. And um, they wouldn't be long songs, but they would be catchy and stupid. <laughs> and, and and I loved, I was obsessed with theme songs as a child. Like I would watch certain superhero shows, like Spider-Man. I would just watch for the theme song, and then I would turn away to some other show. Right. Because <laughs> I wasn't really into superheroes, even though... I made a living parodying them on SNL for a few years. Also a great, um, great superhero theme song, the ambiguously gay duo is, uh, yeah, it's in my They're head. Fighting all it's, it's never going to leave my head. It's just in my mind. It's stored yeah. there. Brilliant. No, I yeah. wrote that. I wrote uh, Saturday TV fun house. Yes. TV fun house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those. And then Christmas time for the Jews and massive uh, holiday favorite. Was, what do you yeah, you made you I, made you made a holiday classic standard with Christmas time? Some people Jew. say that it is. No, I, you I know, I'm Darlene serious. Love, <laughs> Darlene is. Love. The real hero of that song is Stephen Gold, the arranger, because he he made it sound exactly like a Phil Spector wall of sound. Yes, he, he did an amazing job with like no musicians, no budget. So yeah, I, I still don't know how he pulled it off, but he did. And um, yeah, Darlene Love just performed at my. Uh, autism benefit and I got to talk to her about it yeah she would love to sing it again but she doesn't know how to do it in concert without the cartoon behind her so wait a minute had you I never wanna... had you never talked to her about it since it came out like so many years ago I mean not since we recorded it in 2005 oh wow it's the first time I haven't seen her in like 18 years until Monday night when we did the uh, night of too many stars Robert are you yeah. circulating more than you usually do you're doing podcasts you're talking to Darlene Love you're making movies this is a big <laughs> it's year it's all it's all 
like waiting for the bus and they all come at once because <laughs> I mean, we were going to do a night of too many stars in 2020 and the pandemic hit. Oh, right. And I was also going to cover the 2020 election as triumph, like I did in 2016. And, you know, it's just ended up that this has been all I've done for the most part professionally yeah. in the last four years. I've done a few podcasts as triumph and very little else. Yeah. And, you know, and we, it just so happened to time out the night of too many stars that we were finally getting to do another one. And, you know, at the end of, uh, 2023 but leo came out the same time so yeah everything's overlapping and darlene was nice enough to do this to open the show for us so yeah um i got to talk to her but um you know i do love songwriting even though i can't play a musical instrument i just sing songs into a you know garage band or um you know a similar app uh-huh. and then someone talented arranges it you know i mean it's still my melody but they they chart it and make it something that can be played for human consumption well this is a this is a nice segue into your long relationship with adam sandler arguably one of the most successful musical comedians of all time so yes and his his style of songwriting of influenced me a little bit in this one like to be honest when i took this gig and even though the Leo, the lizard thing was my idea, I, and I knew I was going to run with the first draft for the most part, but I did think, well, ultimately I'll write these songs with Adam. But then I just kind of got on a roll and did them on my own and Adam liked them. But, but they were definitely influenced in terms of just focusing on like keeping them tight, keeping them filled with jokes and not going a second longer than they need to. A lot of times, if you see Adam's stand-up act, he'll do a bunch of songs, but a lot of them aren't like full-length songs where it's got to be like verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, bridge. You know, he'll yeah. he'll do as much as the song needs, and that's how this. I think of this. I think of this movie as more of like a comedy with songs than a musical comedy. Sure, because a lot of the songs. They serve their purpose for as long as they need to, and then they they get cut off by something. A door opens, or Leo tells the kid to shut up, or or some songs are just incredibly short, like the drone song. Yeah, you know there are like two songs I think in the whole movie that are start to finish full songs, and they're my favorite songs. Don't cry, and when I was ten. Yeah, but that's yeah. it. I don't think there's any other song that's a full song. When It's Us in the closing credits is another one, I suppose. But that's it. So Sandler um, is the voice. He's got a, I think, and I'm not being silly here, I think he's got a great voice and a dynamic oh, yeah. voice to sing the material he has sung in his career in character with an accent, with a voice. Um, I think that's harder than maybe people realize. Like he's singing really well and in a voice. So there's that part of know. it. Um, so- What's that? I don't know if it's harder. In a way, it's a crutch. Like, cause I did a whole album as Triumph. Right. That's true. Like in 2003, I wrote a whole album, Come Poop with Me, with a lot of filthy songs. And I sang them all in character. Right. It was all Triumph singing. And in a way, it was easier. It like almost took the pressure off. You have a little less, you have a little more leeway in terms of like, you can be pitchy a couple of times here and there. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I still sang the songs pretty well, but but I had more license to be imperfect when I was singing. And I think Adam does too. There are moments in Don't Cry or his uh, solo song about, um, you know, Lizard's Lament. When a man has to face <laughs> that one. There's like, he's, it's not like no, sung I, note by note perfect, yeah. but it doesn't, it shouldn't be almost. It's like, right. Yeah. I can, sorry. I just had a fellow on uh, named Greg Turkington. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He plays a character named yeah. Neil Hamburger. Yeah. And yes, he, he yes, just, he course. just created this one. He was just on the show. Also, I will say doesn't do podcast often, if at all, but we we have right. a, we have a nice dynamic, and he comes on the show when he when he can, and uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's hey Robert. I'm not. I'm okay. I'm a good person. People like me. I'm cool. The show's good. Anyway, my point is this: uh, he sang this beautiful. If you haven't checked out Seasonal Depression Suite, uh, this no. I think you would love it, Robert. It's a beautiful. My kids again. I worry sometimes about the content if they really get it, but they love the satire of this album it's a concept record set in a chain hotel guests all neil finn from crowded house uh relatives of frank sinatra a whole bunch of brilliant people bonnie prince billy they all sing songs on it with neil hamburger it's great so i recommend that to you but it's another name of the album again is seasonal depression suite seasonal depression suite is it a recent album yeah, it just came out uh, a month ago or something like oh, that. Oh, oh, very cool. I'll yeah, absolutely I'll, look it up. I'll link you. I'll send you a link if that helps. And I'm not surprised again about your kids. It's like, like I was saying, kids. You know, everybody says this that they're smarter than you give them credit for, but it's not even just that. It's just they're more observant than you give them credit for. Yeah, yeah. They they understand. Like I knew, people were telling me you got too much stuff here with the parents and the teachers keep it it's a kids movie focus on the kids and i'm telling them my kids recognize when a parent is being a bully yes my kids recognize when a parent is acting like they're entitled to something that they're not yes they recognize when a teacher is insecure about their control over the classroom and then they lash out. Yeah. They, 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 this, and I'm not talking about like now at 15, I'm talking about when they were nine years old, they recognize these things. No, I, I yeah. had conversations about them. Yeah. And so I knew that kids would not tune out when we did these moments. I just yeah. believed it. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I, I uh, and, and that's why I press play on things for them. I, I trust them. I'm just, yeah. what I'm getting at is I'm surprised at the nuance they pick up on, but you're right. At this point, I shouldn't be. I have a lot of love and respect for my kids and I think they do get stuff. So, and yeah, watching yeah. Leo, Le- watching Leo with your family, I will tell people not just to upsell it. It's fun. It's fun to watch it with a range of ages because every, a lot, it's one of these films where I think different demographic, age demographics, if you will, will yeah. relate, will relate to it. So I no, want to. It's very special that way. I, I do believe that, um, there's a lot in it for people of different ages and and I don't think you know it's not one of those movies where it's a kids movie that has like pop culture references for adults that are like little winks okay you bored here's a joke for you no it's all character based stuff that's organic to the story and that's why I think it resonates it's not just 
funny to adults, but it really resonates with adults yeah. and um, and obviously with kids. And Adam and I, you know, when people ask us, what do we want to bring to kids' movies? Like one of the things is laughter, like for kids, because I feel like there's a million great animated movies out there that I love, Pixar movies that tell uh, beautiful stories and are touching and entertaining, but they're not necessarily like laugh-packed. Yeah. Even though I love like a movie like Coco, one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Oh, boy. Or, yeah. But it made, or, me, it made uh, us all cry, Coco. I will tell you that. Yeah, it makes me it makes me cry, and uh, yeah. Up is obviously yeah opening uh, opening a sequence yeah opening sequence is a tear. Well, everybody group. cries at the opening yeah. sequence. I for me, it's when he opens the book at the end and he finds that extra line that he never saw yeah. that she wrote. Yeah, that gets me more than almost anything in any movie. Yeah, but these are amazing movies, but they're not like wall to wall laughs. And and so Adam and I, you know, we come from comedy and. When we wrote Hotel Transylvania and we went to screenings and the kids are laughing all the way through, yeah. they're like, okay, I don't care what the critics think if they think this is like a slight movie or a dumb premise. We're happy because we hear the sound of kids laughing from start to finish in this movie. And that's – that. You know, maybe Despicable Me, maybe a couple other movies are like that. But no, it's not – common in these kids movies a lot of them are as much for adults as they are for kids i think um because you and adam both represent for some people anyway um edgier comedy sometimes juvenile yeah, comedy for the, sure the poignancy of your work is mm -hmm. lost a little bit like watching my we watch happy gilmore as a family too at some point <laughs> and yeah. you're you're great in that adam's great in that <laughs> But there's a and it's it is ultimately uh, quite absurd and silly. But there's a moral center to it. Um, a oh, guy yeah. a, a guy wants to make good help his family, and yeah. um, and yeah. I think that's sometimes that gets lost uh, for just for critics. I don't think the general audience like. I saw absolutely you, not for the general audience. I saw no, you joking I mean, about how your how Leo was doing on um, Rotten Tomatoes, and you referred to the. What'd you call it? The Adam Sandler curve or something the, like the that? The Happy Madison Bell curve? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you seem <laughs> yes. very self-aware of how you're perceived, you and Adam and your... This I just know that yeah. like for, yeah. for that movie, that it was a 77 at that time. Now it's up to 81, yeah. which I call uh, uh, the bandwagon effect. <laughs> you know, the, the late coming critics are like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so this movie doesn't suck. Okay. And that's what they're starting from. Yeah. They're starting from that place. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, and now people are talking about awards and, and, um, we didn't get a Golden Globe nomination or whatever. I, 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 I never care about awards. I feel like we've won. We have a successful movie and yeah. that's all we really need. Yeah. But, you know, for the people who are bummed about it, that's, I think some of that is still lingering happy Madison bell curve yeah. stuff like oh well this is not a an award worthy i mean adam should have had a couple of oscar nominations by now just as an actor i mean for at least for uncut gems and for punch drunk love at least those two yeah yeah and um yeah. you know so people whatever it's like it's so random and that i just it's one of the reasons i just beg people not to get caught up in in winning awards or even being nominated and just like 
focus on the miracle that we get to make movies and that this one worked and that will, you know. You know, this is exemplified. I don't know if you're still close with him. Uh, Bob Odenkirk's work on Better Call Saul. Yeah. That show, I've, I've rewatched that show. Sorry, I've watched and rewatched that show twice this year, beginning to end, because I love it so much. Wow. Yeah, I, wow. I've managed to find... It was one of those things where instead of flipping around... I would just watch chunks of episodes while I was eating a bowl of cereal or, or whatever. Uh, just because uh-huh. I, I was, I, I, I love it so much. But that's an example of someone in a cast doing something I've never seen before. And the storylines yeah. are so intricate, they get almost completely shut out at award season. And that to me is an example of what you're talking about. Yeah. The show gets shut out a lot too. Bob's been nominated a number of times, but he hasn't won. But it's like, who cares? Who cares? He got to do it. And and years from now, no one's going to remember. I always use Seinfeld as an example. Yeah. Like, first of all, just the fact that Jason Alexander never won an Emmy Award. It's crazy. Is reason enough to just understand that none of it means anything. Yeah. Because, like, I can't pick an, an actor who deserves recognition any more than Jason does for playing George Costanza. It's, Has there ever been a funnier performance on television? I don't think so. I don't think so. And he's great yeah. as Dr. Skin, if I might say as well. If there's, <laughs> if people are paying attention to his performance and Thank that, you. Yeah, he's great. Yes. Well, I love Jason and I've met him a few times. I, I got to write the You you Like It a Juice sketch on Saturday Night Live with Jason in it. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, so that's, that's when I met him and we've been in contact ever since. So I called him up to do the Dr. Skin character. But yeah, I mean, I feel like these things, they, they're great for promotion awards. I understand why they exist. But other than that, their, their biggest purpose is to make like 97% of the creative community feel inadequate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> feel like, like no matter how you've made better call Saul. And now this thing has to exist that makes you feel somehow unappreciated and like who cares i think for the audience you want to think that you devoted your time to a winner like there's just a little bit of psychology i don't care i'm telling you this right now i'll watch that old goddamn show for a third time by the end of this year i think it's great yeah but my point is i think psychologically you want to think that the time you spent needs to be validated by the academy of some kind that's all it is but listen it doesn't matter people think of when people think of sitcoms what do they think of first, Seinfeld or Frasier? Yeah, Seinfeld. It's not even close. Yeah. It's not even close. And Seinfeld, Frasier won like 10 of these things. Seinfeld may have won a couple. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah. it's it's very random and um, arbitrary and subjective and yeah. any negative word that you want to use <laughs> that will discount their importance. I, I, I don't think that they shouldn't exist because I think it's great to promote great television and movies but but i don't think people should get wrapped up in them i just um yeah you got to have perspective and realize that you've won just by getting to make the project and then you've really won if people like the project so i yeah couldn't be more i've never even had anything like this happen to me where i've made something for the masses that everybody liked at the same time like yeah Hotel Transylvania didn't get great reviews. Zohan didn't get great reviews, even though they were popular movies. And then I've had like, oh, so many TV projects that 
you know, Dana Carvey show that there are all these projects that like look well, where it's like everybody celebrates it 10 years later, you know? And well, I, I will tell you, I, in, in the box I have of the very somewhere down in my basement, I recorded Conan's first late night show. Just, I didn't know who he yeah, was, yeah. but I, I was, I love late night. I love Letterman. So sure. I thought I better, I better grab this and then became a lifelong fan. I don't know if you can see it. I actually have a poster of Conan. Right up there from oh, the, there you uh, go. Yeah. the legally prohibited from being funny on television tour 2010. Yes, yes. And also on one of those VHS tapes, which if I had a player, I'd watch it. I think every episode of the Dana Carvey show. Something wow. about me at that age. Yeah. Uh, what is What year is that? 91, 92? What is that? Carvey was 96. 96. Conan, oh, my God. Okay. Conan so I'm eight, started in 93. 93. So I'm like uh, 96. I'm 18, 19. And I was plugged in. To yeah. what was going on, and I, and that's how I know Colbert and Carell and, right. and you and 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 all these guys. So all I'm getting at is I didn't. Uh, it's just very significant to me that you're here. I'm mindful of the time. I want to ask you about Sandler and Conan, but I have to go, and I feel badly because I got kids to get and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> maybe great. if you pop your head up again someday uh, to okay. do podcasts and around podcasts, I hope we can reconnect. But I, yeah. in, 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 in sort of conclusion and to be respectful of your time as well, uh, I just want to ask what's next. You're riding this high of 2023. You're, you're conquering your, you're the prince I mean, of I all hope. media at least. So what, uh, what's next for you? I don't have a definitive plan. I have certain ideas for projects that I'd like to do. I would love to cover the election as triumph, at least some of it. I don't know if that's going to happen either. <laughs> I find it. So, I mean, did you, was it strange or surreal to you to be making the rounds promoting Leo as Triumph the Insult Comic Dog? Like, I, is that ever know, odd? That's just, that's just how it works. It's like, yeah, we'd love to have him on. Can he do Triumph too? <laughs> and you know what? It's like, it's fun. I, I don't mind at all. It's, you know, Triumph is, I don't even look at Triumph as myself anymore because I have people helping me write jokes and I'm just honored to uh, to get to do Triumph and make people laugh with, with that ridiculous character. I have to say it was so. surreal. You and I connected over a social media platform for this and I was like, every once in a while I'm like, I'm actually communicating with Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Because like, that's <laughs> yeah. what it, it doesn't say your name. It says Triumph the no, Insult Comic Dog. No, I don't have a, I, I just go with the Triumph. <laughs> I hide behind Triumph. I identify myself when it's me. I feel but, like um, you often hide. If I think about the lips character on Conan, it was you, and we yeah. knew it was you, those who followed you, yeah. but we couldn't see your face. Triumph, we don't see you. This animated yeah. stuff, we don't see you. Like, you're yeah, you're yeah. a background, you think of yourself as a background guy. I just think I fell into that, and I'm perfectly happy with that. There's something very comfortable about getting to do all this fun stuff without having to be recognized. Yeah. I've enjoyed that. I have to be honest with you. I've enjoyed bringing my kids up without being a full out celebrity, yeah. you know, and having to be stopped everywhere. And, you know, at the same time, I'm like a little bit famous enough that they understand that, uh, you know, I get to do cool things and that they, um, and that they get to have fun with me as a result sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it hasn't, 
You know, the, all I've ever cared about is power. It sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but <laughs> the power to be able like, to make the things you may, you want to make. I yes, it, because yeah, that's yeah. where my ego really focuses on, not on myself, but on my work. I love my own ideas. <laughs> I'm going through the same thing right now. I'm going through the exact yeah. same thing right now, and I don't have the ideas you have, but I just well, wish I could do this and not have to worry about a day job or anything else. And I'm struggling oh, yeah, as I'm speaking sure. to you. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's that's the thing. So, you know, when I get recognition for doing, whether it's this movie or Triumph or my cartoons, whatever it is, I'm much more interested in where it's going to lead than in just any kind of self-satisfaction that people know me and like me. That's fun. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. We're all in this to make people, you know, laughs are usually enough for me, just hearing people laugh. But yeah. if people come up to me and say, oh, I was having hard times and first time I laughed in X amount of months was from a triumph thing, well, that makes me feel fantastic, yeah. you know. Well, your and, contributions are greatly appreciated by people like me and they have been uh, for a long time. So Robert, I don't want to uh, get too emotional, but no. it's just very kind. <laughs> it's kind of you to make time for me, uh, an nah. obscure person up in Canada. And it's meaningful to me that we had this chat. If people want to learn more about you and uh, apparently Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, where would you like to direct them on the internet? Uh, I guess to my uh, Instagram site or my, I mean, and my Twitter site, they're the same. Yes. Tri Triumph ICD Insult Comic Dog HQ headquarters. <laughs> Triumph ICD HQ. <laughs> okay, I'll link to all that, and we'll keep an eye on those for uh, future plans. And uh, again, everyone, yeah. please this holiday season enjoy Leo on Netflix. It's remarkable, uh, fun for the whole fam, literally the whole family, every generation. I think <laughs> so. Uh, Robert Smigel, truly an honor. I hope you enjoyed this in some small way. And uh, I did. I hope I, we, did. I hope we talk again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope so too. Thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss what can I say that that just meant uh, the world Robert Smigel thank you so much for being on this show I know uh, it's not uh, 
Uh, normally of the stature you're used to. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, 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 that was beautiful for me. I really, I, I really enjoyed that, and uh, it was nice to have him do his Arnold. Everyone does an Arnold. I think I started to do Bill Hader's Arnold when he was on Conan. The, we got to get out. There's a bomb in there. I do that, which isn't very strong. I'm doing Bill Hader's Arnold, so I didn't even indulge. But uh, anyway, if you haven't checked out that lost uh, Hans and Franz uh, podcast on Conan O'Brien, please do. Robert's great. Everyone's great. Robert's in it. Kevin Nealon, Dana Carvey, Conan, uh, uh, other cast members from Conan's uh, universe. It's great. Anyway, Robert, thank you so much. Uh, everyone else, this is the 829th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode on your podcast platform there uh, that you've heard about, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. We're on social media. There's a link tree link, hopefully, in the show notes that you can see. And if you click on that, you can find me and follow me on all the available social media platforms that I'm signed up for. I think I have to update that, actually. But yeah, you know, if you want, I'm on Twitter and at uh, at Vish Creative and uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Vish Kana. Those are primary things. Uh, started some of the other things like Blue Sky, but those are uh, just developing, I suppose. Anyway, link tree for all that stuff. Uh, please visit uh, patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation that will keep uh, this work I do going. Uh, it is getting to the point where I want that to be uh, the show to be the primary pursuit in my life after years of trying to balance it with uh, other work and um, I don't know if it's actually feasible I, it's, it's, it's sometimes I feel like I, oh, it's all, I just need like a wealthy benefactor or something you know uh, or <laughs> something like that And uh, but I have lots of great supporters on the Patreon and uh, uh, $6 or more a month American if you can afford that you get uh, exclusive content you get episodes earlier than everybody else but any amount is is appreciated and helps me uh, work so if you like the work that goes into this show thank you for supporting me on my Patreon I appreciate that thanks again to the wonderful Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca or visit their Edmonton and Calgary locations if you're in Alberta I want to thank Pizza Trocadero The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie, a wonderful musician and composer. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Robert Smigel, a true highlight for me in my career, frankly, let alone this show. So thank you to Robert. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast and, and following it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you for watching Leo on Netflix. Thank you for being you. I will talk to you very soon. Be well. Have a happy holiday. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.